Well, good morning. I am glad you are here. Welcome to Family Sunday. So we have um, kids are in here, so I need to. I have a question. Kids, I've got a question. Okay, you paying attention? How many of you have gotten in trouble before? Be honest with me. How many of you have gotten in trouble before? Okay, there we go. I got a lot of hands. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to start by telling you a time I got myself in a lot of trouble. I was 15 years old. I was going, this is August, I was going to start my junior year in high school in about a month. We had had a swim meet, and after the swim meet, we thought it'd be fun to do something kind of crazy. So there was a guy who drove a Jeep, and a couple of us sat on the back of the Jeep, and it was trash night. And so people would wheel their their uh, trash out to the road, and, and they, they were on wheels. So we thought it would be real fun, and I was at the back of the Jeep. We would go real fast, and then he would turn the corner, and we would let the trash go, and poof, it would go, and we just thought it was so funny. It was so funny. But what we didn't realize is what? That, that when people saw their trash go like that, what would they do? Who would they call? They called the police. Yeah, they did. And we're driving in a yellow Jeep, so it's not like, oh, hey, we can get away. We can kind of... And so we're, we're doing this, and we're going along, and it's, it's fun and games. Kids, it is fun and games. Then all of a sudden, a police car pulls in behind us. Oh, it's not so fun anymore. So we thought, well, we better head home. We're closest to Andy's house. And so we do, and we do that. And about that time, he turns on his lights, and then two more police car comes with their lights right in front of my house. I don't think this is going to go well. We have very thick curtains. This is, we're in the suburban Chicago area, and the family room was in back, the TV room was in back, and I get in there, I get back there, and I just think, you know, I'm going to be grounded till like I'm 44. And my parents say, how did you swim tonight? Pretty good. I thought, you know, statute of limitations is, on the, is 15 years. So when I was about 32, I say, hey, did you guys ever know that I got pulled over and there were three police cars out in front with their, with their lights going? No, we never knew. Well, statute of limitations, that actually happened. I was 15, mom and dad. <laughs> but you know, that moment when I was caught and I knew I had done wrong, I was going to have to face the consequences, and there were people decided not to press charges, so we got a warning and we got off. But there was a terrible feeling when you're caught and you've done wrong, and you know it, and there's no getting out. Yet I want to tell you today, I think there's a hope we have, even we're dead to rights in our wrong. And I want to talk about that hope this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you turn it to Genesis chapters 42 and 43, we're going to continue the account of Joseph and, and, and go through these passages and say, what's our hope when, when we've done something wrong? Now, now, Johnny talked us through last week, and boy, if you haven't seen the, the sermon, it's posted on our website. I encourage you to go see it because, man, it, it was going south for Joseph. He'd been sold into slavery, and then um, he's falsely accused, and uh, God in, has him interpret some dreams, and, and, and it turns out right, and, the, and the, Joseph says to the guy, hey, remember me, and, and they forget him. They don't remember him. But, but God works that, and finally Pharaoh has a dream he can't figure out, and, and Joseph, uh, 
by God's grace, interprets the dream, and Joseph has now risen to number two. And, and the dream was that the world was going to go through seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. And Pharaoh thinks, man, this Joseph's pretty sharp. I'm going to put him in charge. I'm going to make him number two in Egypt. And he's going to uh, kind of steward, gather the stuff during the years of abundance, and then so we'll be ready in the famine. And so now we're in the years of famine. Egypt's got all kinds of food, but, but Jacob, Joseph's family, Jacob was his father and his brothers, they're living in, in Israel, and it's not going so well. And that's, here's how where we pick it up. It says now, uh, chapter 42, verse 1, now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob says to his sons, why are you staring at one another? He said, behold, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. Then 10 brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. So they're out of food. And there's no food that's being grown. It's a famine. But Egypt has prepared for this, and they got a ton of food. So Jacob says to 10 of his sons, go down to Egypt and buy food. Now, he had 12 sons, these 10. The 11th was Joseph, who he thinks is dead. And the 12th son is a son named Benjamin. And we read about Benjamin in verse 4. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I am afraid that harm may befall him. Part of the problem in Jacob's family is he had children, 12 sons and one daughter by four different women. But there was one in particular he loved. Her name was Rachel. And she was not able to have children and finally did. And the first one was named Joseph. And he was a favorite son, and the brothers hated him and sold him into slavery, and God has brought him around, unbeknownst to them, to this position of leadership in Egypt. Later, she had a second son, and that son's name is Benjamin. And Jacob still is playing favorites. You ten go, go down there. It's going to be a risky trip, and hopefully you come back, but I ain't, I ain't risking Benjamin. He's staying here. The message could not be more clear to the brothers. They're still a favorite, and his name is Benjamin. So in verse 5, they make the trip. And in verse 6, unbeknownst to them, they're going to meet Joseph. Now, Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold all the people to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came down and bowed to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said, where have you come from? They said, from the land of Canaan. Second time in two verses, the author mentions, but Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Why don't Joseph's brothers recognize him? What do they assume about Joseph? He's dead. Or he's locked someplace in slavery. It never occurs to them that the man who's going to be providing them grain is Joseph. So they're not aware of that. Verse 9, Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them. Earlier, we read that God gave Joseph two dreams in which all his brothers and even his parents were bowing down to him. I think the author mentions this because Joseph remembers those dreams and thinks, all that's happened, it's in the plan of God. And it's important because the brothers did him wrong, but Joseph remembers God is in this. He said, you're spies. You've come to look at the undefended parts of our land. And they said, no, 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 my Lord. But your servants have come to buy food. 
We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet it says, no, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, no, 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 no. Your servants are 12 brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father, and one, Joseph, so they think, is no longer alive. So Joseph is going to test his brothers. He said, as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested, by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your younger brother comes here. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. What do you think is going through their mind in prison for three days? It has been 20 years since they sold Joseph into slavery. You think they're feeling that? You think they're aware of that? Well, in verses 18 to 20, Joseph changed his mind. He said, you know what, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hold one, and the rest of you go back. And you get your brother, your younger brother, and you bring him back. And, and he tells him that in verses 18 to 20. He lays that out. So then they find out of Joseph's change of plans. In verse 21, they speak. Then they said to one another, truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them saying, did I not tell you? Do not sin against the boy and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. These brothers feeling it? 20 years after the fact, yeah, they are. They said this is reckoning. They understand that God is just and, and, and nothing goes beyond him. They're feeling you and I cannot outrun our wrong. Verse 23, they did not know, however, that Joseph understood for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them, he spoke to them. He took Simeon from them, and he bound them before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions of the journey. And thus it was done for them. So he sent them all back home. But Simeon is going to stay. Joseph gives them grain. In fact, he gives them their money back. Well, look what happened when they, when they find their money. Verse 26. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed from there. As every one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he, he saw his money. Or as one of them opened his sack, he saw his money. And behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Then he said to his brothers, my money has been returned. And behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? They know they're going to be accused of stealing. And they understand you can't outrun your wrong. God holds people accountable. So what's our hope when we've done something wrong? Here's the first thing. We can't, we can't escape the consequences of our wrong. We cannot escape the consequences of our wrong. Well, they go back down to uh, their father, 
in Israel. And in verses 29 through 34, they tell Jacob about Simeon. He's back up in the land. And then in in verse 35 to 38, uh, Jacob decides he's not going to let Benjamin go. Now, I mentioned we can't outrun the consequences of our wrong. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus has taken that sin upon him. Shortly after Jesus resurrected from the dead uh, and and ascended into heaven, uh, Peter and John were in Jerusalem and they met a guy who was lame from birth. And uh, this guy said, hey man, can, 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 can you spare a little change? And Peter said to him, silver and gold have I none, but what I give to you, I give to you in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And the guy who'd been lame from birth stood up, and and the people were stunned. And they wanted to know, what's up? And so Peter launched into the gospel in Acts 3, 14 and 15. Here's what he told them, the people. It says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You put to death the prince of life. You're guilty. You put Jesus to death. But he's the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And in going to the cross, Jesus took every wrong in the world, even those people who put him on the cross, he took their sin upon him. So you do not have to carry the weight of your sin. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Jesus takes our sin upon him, upon us. That's why we prayed for these kids. They would come to know that because every one of us has a wrong. Maybe you tipped over trash cans. Whatever you did, you have sinned ultimately against God. And Jesus says, I take my sin upon you. I forgive your sin. Just like he's going to, we're going to see him work in the life of Joseph. He can take your wrong, and he can use it for good. But that starts with you trusting Christ, with me trusting Christ. If you've never trusted Christ, now's the time. He takes everyone's sin, even those who put them on the cross, and he restores them. You know, back in the day when my dad was alive, when I first came to Christ, we would get into theological discussions, and it never went well. You're not going to hear it from your son. But I remember him, he'd say to, and I'd, tell, I'd explain the gospel to him, and he said, Andrew, I'm going to stand before God one day and say, I've lived my, the best life I can, and if that's not good enough, so be it. I said, Dad, if I read my Bible right, then God's going to send you away, because your life isn't good enough. No offense, neither is mine. We all fall short of God's mark of perfection. And, and these brothers are no different. They were jealous. They took the jealousy upon them. They left their brother for dead. And we're going to find out that God has been at work in that. Well, chapter 43, when we left them, the, the brothers have come back. They've got grain. They said, Dad, if we're going to get more, we, we, we're going to have to go back down. There. We're going to have to take Benjamin. And, and, and Jacob has said, no way. Benjamin's not on the table. Well, Verses 43, chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. Now the famine was severe in the land. Now it came about when they had finished eating the grain, which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said, go back, go back buy us a little food. Man, we're out of food. We, we need food. You need to go back and, and, and buy some. But Judah spoke to him, however, and said, this man, the man solemnly warned us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, 
we will not go down. For the man said to us, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. And then what ensues in verses 6 through 10 is an argument between Jacob and the brothers. And Judah says, look, I'll take responsibility for Benjamin's well-being. And remember, Judah's the one who suggests they sell Joseph into slavery. Judah's a changed man. He said, I, I will take responsibility for Benjamin. Finally, Jacob realizes he has no choice, and he rela- releases Benjamin to go with him. So now there's 11 brothers, or there's 10, and there's Simeon who's in jail. And, and they're going back to Egypt to get grain. In verse 15, they make the journey. Uh, in verse 16 through 18, then of Genesis 43, they meet um, Joseph's servants. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. So the man did as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid. You bet they're afraid because they've got a lot of guilt. But they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we're being brought in that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for slaves with our donkey. Well, the, the steward calms their fear and he says, look, that's just God's goodness returning your money. He gives them water and he gives them food. And in verse 26, Joseph comes out to meet his brothers. And here's how it goes. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present which he was in their hand and bowed down to the ground before him. Then he asked him about his welfare and said, is your old father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well and he is still alive. They bowed, bowed down in homage. He lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. He said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he, he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried then out for he was deeply stirred over his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chambers there and wept. Then he washed his face and came out and he controlled himself and said, serve the meal. Verse 32, so they served him by himself and then by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Look, I'm, I'm jumping ahead here. But Joseph will rescue these people, and, and they will end up, a new Pharaoh will come, and they will be slaves for 400 years. And one of the reasons they went into slavery is the Egyptians would have nothing to do with the Hebrews. There would be no mingling. There would be no cross-marrying because the Egyptians looked down on the Hebrews. God knew what he was doing when he took his people to Egypt. He was growing a people. And this is the start of it. The whole plan with Joseph is the start of God birthing a nation. They were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. They're wondering, how did he know? How did he know to seat us in order? Well, because he's your brother. You don't know that yet. Then... Verse 34, he took portion of them from his own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of the others. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Why did he give Benjamin five times as much? He wants to know, are you still bothered by favoritism? Because your younger brother just got a whole heap and a lot more food than you do. Can you roll with that? Because 20 years ago, you couldn't. So we're going to see this play out over the next two weeks. God is going to save Jacob's family from starvation through Joseph. Were the brothers wrong to sell Joseph into slavery? Absolutely. Is there a consequence to that? Yeah, there sure is. Are they feeling the weight of their sin? They sure do. 
But that's not all the story. Because of the sovereignty of God and because ultimately in Christ, I would answer our question this way. What's our hope when we've done someone wrong? We can't escape the consequences of wrong. But here's what we can trust. That God uses our wrong for his purposes. God uses our wrong, just like he did with these ten brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. He uses it for his purposes. That's why we are a people always with hope. Are we perfect? No. Do we do things wrong? Absolutely. Do we make mistakes? Yeah. Do, do we face consequences like I did that night with the three police cars? Yeah, we do. What hope do we have in the face of that? Here's the hope. That God redeems our wrong for his purposes. Sometimes it takes a while to figure out what God's doing. You know how long it was from the time Joseph was sold into slavery till he became second in charge? It was 20 years. 20 years of bopping around a prison, of being falsely accused, of being sold into slavery again. Why? Why, why couldn't God do it in like five years or three years? I, I don't know. I don't know the mind of God. Why 20 years? I don't know. Maybe there was something about Joseph's character. Man, you're going up to number two. You really need to be broken here. And when you get 20 years in prison, you got it, man. They're, they're, if God is not working here, I, I'm done. And you know, when Joseph came before Pharaoh and he said, I heard you can interpret dreams, Joseph said, I can't, but, but God can. Joseph's a humble man. He's a broken man. But it took 20 years. You got stuff going on in your life that's hard right now? You, you wonder why? And I don't know, but God does. And whatever he's doing, he, he's redeeming that. And you know, there are issues of forgiveness here. Some of you have... have uh, done somebody wrong. And, and you need to confess that. You need to own that. Uh, some of you have been done wrong. Uh, you need to forgive that person. They don't even need to be physically present for you to forgive me. It can happen in your heart. Well, Andy, I can't do that. Yeah, you can because you know God's sovereign. God's ultimately just. He will bring justice for what has gone on in your life. And he will redeem the wrong for his purposes. That ought to empower us, free us, to forget others. The fact that God placed the final card on everything ought to make us people of hope. Selling a brother into slavery and turning that to save a nation, who would have thought? That's the God we serve. Yeah, there's consequences to our wrong, but he redeems them for his purposes. Several years ago, there was a disgruntled teacher at Lincoln Public Schools and she was mad at an employee, at another teacher. So she came in to the uh, offices at LPS there on O Street, right across from the mall, and, and she wanted to set her, her desk on fire. But it ended up setting the whole building on fire. And for a number of months, anybody who worked in the LPS office was, they were strewn all over the city because that thing burned to the ground. And I don't know how long, if it took six months or a year, I, I don't know. Uh, it was miserable, and there were consequences to that wrong. And if you were working at the DO, the district office, you knew. And if you were a teacher, you probably felt it. But you know what came out of that? LPS got a whole bunch of insurance money, and they were able to build a much more efficient building with space. And then they were even able to sell some of the property. There's a Whole Foods there, and there's a restaurant, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. That, that, was, that was income for Lincoln Public Schools, in the end, something good came out of that. The education was furthered in this city, even though in the short term, there was a tremendous loss. Yeah, that's just a picture of what God can do with wrongs. He can take them and redeem them and bring them back for His purposes.
Let me pray. And I'll invite our worship team to come up. And they will close us with a song uh, that is entitled, Yes, Amen. And it's an affirmation that God is absolutely sovereign in everything that goes on in our life because of Christ. So, Lord, we are grateful for um, this reminder that you are sovereign and you are good. And, and man, there are consequences to our wrong. And, and, and these brothers felt it and, and we feel it. But you um, ultimately play the final card. And you bring uh, your purposes about and we're grateful for that. And, and that empowers us to let things go and to seek forgiveness and to forgive because you are just and, and, and you redeem all the wrongs uh, for your ultimate ends. And we're grateful for that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand